0: today's reading comes from the book of matthew chapter 3 verses 1 to 17 in those days john the baptist came preaching in the wilderness of judea and saying repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near this is he who was spoken of through the prophet isaiah one a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, "'You broad of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? "'Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, "'and do not think you can say to yourselves, "'We have Abraham as our father. "'I tell you that out of these stones, "'God can raise up children for Abraham.'" The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands, in, is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness.
1: And thank you to the other people that have contributed so beautifully uh, to this service. Thanks to our musical team that has led us in some new things and some old things. that has been really wonderful. And David, your prayers were just extraordinary, just really deep and beautiful. And um, of course, you would expect uh, Robin uh, looked like we were in collusion with the front cover of my article there, Robin, and what you'd done, because I wrote about the Queen's visit as well, later on, of course, when I was seven, 1963. (laughs) Not inferring anything, Uh, but thank you very much. Heavenly Father, as we approach this um, season where we celebrate Jesus coming into this world and as we go through the rhythm of a few weeks which we call Advent, we just pray to God that you would be taking us on a journey of the heart, taking us on a journey of the soul and of the mind. prepare us, Heavenly Father, Again, for this incredibly sacred and joyous and important time, we pray in Jesus' name. So I want to be talking today about two ideas about waiting and preparing, about waiting and preparing. Israel had been waiting for Jesus and John was getting them prepared for Jesus. A little bit similar to waiting and preparing for Christmas. Who can remember as a child waiting for Christmas? Anyone remember waiting? Did it not seem to take forever? It just seemed like you were waiting for Christmas and you do the countdown, but every day was incredibly long and the whole process was pretty torturous, really. Um, I, of course, like to exacerbate that when my children were young, because even on Christmas Eve, I love to torture them. Um, on Christmas Eve, we we lived in an old period house down in Ballarat, and had a really long uh, hallway, longer than this 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 from this door to this door, probably about 13 or 14 meters. Anyway, it was all wooden floorboards, and just as the children had finally got to the point of waiting and waiting and waiting for Christmas to arrive, just getting to that point, and they were just trying to get off to sleep, and and just knowing that when they wake up in the morning it arrived, of course, we had this old timber house and this old, long timber hallway. And what did I do? I used to stomp up and down the hallway going, yo, ho, ho, and the whole house, boom, boom, boom. And then I, of course, say, are you asleep yet? And then, I've got dad, don't do that, you know, dad. Yeah, of course I did it. I kept on doing it too. So waiting for Christmas as kids, you know, is pretty awesome. But of course, now when we're waiting for Christmas, uh, time goes so fast. It's like it looks like the calendar is like when you're filling up the petrol tank, and the numbers just go brrrr, like that. You know, who knows? As as Ben said, where is this year gone? You know, you're turning around, and time seems time seems to accelerate the older you get. Yeah, wow, <laughs> that's the case. Waiting for Christmas, preparing for Christmas. It was interesting that this woman had added up what it was going to cost her this week uh, to put on Christmas. So she's going... She has this idea that she wants to levy the family 30 bucks a head. So to go for... Well, full of Christmas joy and generosity and cheer there, isn't it, really? <laughs> so preparing for Christmas. I've only made the one mistake of going to Carlingford Court anywhere near Christmas. And, of course, you just... When you can't get a park on the lower levels, and you find yourself on the upper level, and then of course everybody's gone at that particular time, and everybody wants to exit at that time, it took about 45 or 50 minutes just to get out of uh, Carlingford Court. Nearly as bad as Chatswood, but of course Chatswood is that magnified. Well, here's Israel, waiting and preparing, waiting for Christ, the coming Messiah. Israel had been waiting I've got two of these little flickers here today which is fantastic because one of them belongs to the Presbyterian church so when I turn it and flick it on um, (laughs) I'm not sure what's going to be happening up there this is the one Christmas. (laughs) Christmas. <laughs> that was a joy to teach at school. Waiting for Christ, the coming Messiah. Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting. You might think, well, how long have they been waiting? Do you remember Genesis? What was said to the serpent in the wilderness? That when they had fallen out of fellowship with God, out of relationship with God, and God had spoken to Adam, and God had spoken to Eve, He also spoken to the serpent. Can you remember what he said to the serpent? He said these words about the future restoration and salvation and reversal of what had just occurred in the garden way back at the beginning. Jesus was promised by God with these words to come and deal with the destructive work of Satan in pulling people away from God, there would come a time God said to him, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And that statement from Genesis 3, chapter 16 is about Jesus. So right from the beginning, Israel knows someone would come and restore humanity to God. The plan of restoration from the outset. And of course, a passage that we're very, very familiar with. One that we love from Isaiah chapter 9. Can you believe it that this was written, I don't know, maybe 800 years before Jesus? Unbelievable when you think about it. For to us, you know this passage, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So that's what Israel was waiting for. They were waiting for the one who would come and sit on David's throne and restore things to be the way that they should be. And of course, then the Old Testament closes and now there's a gap of, say, 400 years where God was silent in sending official prophets. So the book of Malachi closes and then we just turn the page and we hit Matthew's Gospel, 400 years on the turning of a page. They've been waiting for a prophet to come again since the last prophet of Malachi. Then strides John onto the stage of humanity, larger than life, an epic character, clothed in camel's hair amongst his diet, uh, honey and locusts, Considered in upmarket restaurants is very good these days and you know there's a big push to eat insects if you haven't already eaten, you're full of cockroaches and And locusts, just don't worry, you can pay probably a whole lot of money and go to an upmarket restaurant somewhere in Glebe or someplace like that. And they'll they'll serve you up a bucket of crustaceans. Um, So this was a part of what he did. So there he was preaching in the wilderness. This wilderness area, they say, was rocky, was chalky, had shrubs full of snakes and all those kinds of things. And there come the people. They hear that God has finally sent a prophet, John the baptizer and the whole of Israel starts to go out to him. Look at verse five. People went out to him from Jerusalem and Judea. They, that, they'd been going eastward towards him because he was in the Jordan area, in the, in the river there, baptizing people. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, the whole region of Jordan and they went out to hear his preaching and to deal with God. Let's have a look at verse from our text. Get your Bibles open. Matthew chapter 3. In those those days, John the Baptist Baptist or John the Baptizer came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, By the way, that's pretty much what Jesus started preaching. Go back and have a look at Mark's gospel, about verse 15, I think, chapter 1. Have a look. It's very similar. What John was saying, Jesus was saying, repent because the kingdom of God is here. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Uh, This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. That's our reference. Going back, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths and so John this abrasive preacher this bold preacher who would call people to repent but he'd also rebuke those in authority Uh, he criticized Herod who was a tetrarch which is kind of like a sub-king king of a small region under under the Roman Empire he criticized him for his divorce and remarrying his brother's wife And, of course, we know that ended with his execution. Uh, He was beheaded and his head paraded in a most degrading manner at a public gathering uh, for a birthday. There he is in the wilderness preaching this great message. The king is coming. People flock out to him. And, of course, uh, what he's doing is he's quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 4. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. A rough ground shall become level, rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So there's this ancient custom when a monarch was coming to an area they would send out a group of basically road workers and they would go out and they knew that the monarch was coming and so what they would do is they would do their best to to make way make the highway appropriate so that they would do things do as much road works as possible because this is the road on which a king would come. And of course, probably in Isaiah, they're thinking of God leading his people back from captivity in Babylon back to Jerusalem. But here it is, this manifestation, this ancient custom of preparing roads and making high places low and low places and building them up. And so that's what was happening here in this particular instance. there. He's saying the king is coming. But of course, John is not talking about roadworks works. He's talking about heart works. He's talking about preparing our hearts. He's talking about get those things in your life that are, that are peaks and unacceptable to God. Knock them off. Get the low parts of your life and build them up. The King is coming. Let God do the major works in your heart and in your soul. He's preparing for Christ. And so they're waiting for Christ and now they're preparing for Christ. What have I taken the Presbyterians one? What do we to the next slide? Just hit, hit a button. There we go. I knew God wouldn't help me if I did that. Put the Presbyterian one down there. Preparing for Christ. So Matthew chapter 3, we see there at verse 6. People came. What were they doing? They were confessing their sins. They knew that they had to deal with the stuff that displeased God. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan. You see, repentance... Repentance is at the core of Christianity. Baptism is a sign of sorrow over sin and a complete turnaround. And as we know, uh, true faith invariably manifests itself in repentance towards God and compassionate generosity to others. Listen to that again. True faith invariably manifests itself in repentance towards God And compassionate generosity to others. You see, Christianity is not a bunch of ideas that we subscribe to. It's far more than that. It's a life turnaround, it's a life dedication. It's a God who we worship, it's a personal relationship with Him. See, you can have a personal faith, but you cannot have a private faith. You're tracking with me? You can have a personal faith, but you can't have a private faith. A private faith is basically when you're an undercover agent for God and nobody knows. You're sort of the ASIO of heaven. But you see, you're, you're so far under the radar that you don't manifest that. You see a good spy is somebody who doesn't show their colours. They just blend in. That's what having a private faith is, where you try to hold something, but it doesn't really manifest itself out there. No one should be surprised when you tell them you're a Christian. So if people don't know you're a Christian and you're interacting with them, no one should be surprised when you say, yes, I'm a Christian. Because they should say, wow, okay, well that lines up because I've been observing you, I've been talking with you, I've been watching you, because always a personal faith exhibits itself in public actions. That's why Jesus said, let your light shine so that people might see your good belief system held deeply to yourself. They may see your good philosophy. They may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. And so Jesus said, let it shine. Show it out to the world. Show people not to be seen yourself, but to bring glory to God so that people would, would our influence is there. It's, it's public. No one should be surprised. You can have a personal faith, but you cannot have a private faith that doesn't express itself in generosity to others and repentance towards God. It's impossible. There is no such a thing. Personal faith demands public expression. Uh, went to the gym yesterday and had two uh, encounters with people on a, at a f- kind of a faith level. Uh, sat next to a woman and we did a couple of classes together and we were both pretty ruined after that. And she said, what do you do for a job? And I said, uh, I'm a pastor of a local church. That's always a killer. <laughs> that and being an undertaker, you can't. Or a politician, that'd go bad, wouldn't it, really? Uh, what party? Mm. And, of course, when you try to explain to people you're part of the church of they've never heard of you. I mean, God loves us, but we are a pimple on the pumpkin of Christianity, aren't we? <coughs> anyway, talking to her. She works in the healthcare system. She's in a brand-new role of seeking to offer, basically, patient support through personal interaction and hearing them out. It's kind of like a secular chaplain role. She said, I want to pick your brains. I said, I think my brain's a fried. Those classes have just about killed me. Anyway, she described her role and I said, look, let's get on social media, link me up, and I'll send you some articles and thoughts. So I spent yesterday afternoon, from what she described, writing her because she said, oh, I've got to write a job description. I've got to, they've, they want things about how to, uh, you know, how do you measure my work? How do you measure its worth? It's really difficult. It's a new role. I don't know. So I spent yesterday afternoon drafting Job description, vision statement, values, client benefits uh, and a matrix to measure what she does. And I can hardly wait for her to contact me on social media because I'm going to send her that stuff. She said, I don't understand Muslim people. And she said they have a very different view of suffering and God than the will of Allah and all of this. And so I found a fabulous article for her and put it into the, embedded it into this document about free will and the Islamic faith. You say, why am I doing that? Why did I go to all that? Why am I day off? Am I spending my time on my computer in the afternoon knocking up this document? Because it's got personal faith. It's got to have public expression. And so I want her to understand that that's that's the case. I want to understand that here I am trying to offer assistance, trying to, because I can systematically work stuff out of concepts really quickly. And so there's the cake. I can bang down the ingredients and the procedures. My brain just, just breaks stuff down into systems and lists really quickly. So I'm able to get what she said and snap it down into complete page and a half of material. I can hardly wait to bless her with that because... I want her to glorify God in heaven. And there's another guy at the gym, and he he works there, and he's just been looking really flat. So I picked up a couple of weeks ago, as I walked into the gym, and I I just said to him, you okay, mate? He said, why do you ask? I said, you just look really flat lately. He said, I'm not at all doing well. Not at all doing well. And then he said a few things, and I said, I would like to take you out for a cup of coffee. Uh, He said, I don't, you know, I don't know. I saw him yesterday, and I said... I said, coffee's on me. I saw him yesterday and I said, how's that cup of coffee looking for you? And he said, you know, he said a few things personally, which I won't put on, on the record. But basically, he's feeling pretty lousy about himself and all that kind of stuff. And I said, I'd love to take you out for a coffee. And I said, uh, he hesitated, feeling a bit embarrassed about his life. And I said, you know what I do for a job? He said, no idea. I, here's the word again. I'm a pastor, right? That's, second, that's two confessions in about an hour. That's the second confession right there. I said, I'm a pastor. He said, Oh, yeah. I go, yeah, I am. I said, and I've been doing it for about 40 years. There's nothing you can say that will shock me. There's nothing that you haven't done that I haven't encountered a dozen times. I said, believe me, I'm unshockable. <laughs> and nothing you say will cause me to reject you because I have seen it all, done a lot of it, and all of that, okay? So, I said, he said, I might look up your details on a computer and give you a coffee. I think I could do with that. Personal faith must have public expression. It must show itself in repentance to God, and it must show itself in generosity and kindness and love to others. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the kind of life that we should be walking the talk. And as we move into Advent, that's the kind of thing that God's looking for there. John comes as a herald messaging Jesus, saying that, of course, in, uh, um, in John's gospel, he must increase and I must decrease. So here he is. He's announcing Jesus. I baptize. Look at verse 11. I baptize you um, with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you uh, with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork, which they use to clear the chaff away from the grain, they almost blow it like that. His winnowing fork is in his hands and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, burning the chaff up with unquenchable fire. So Jesus' ministry would be different to John. John is just preparing the way. John is deflecting his attention to Jesus. He is the baptizer with water, uh, getting people ready to receive the King of Kings, telling them to get their lives in line. But Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. He demands the people completely and utterly and totally be immersed in the transforming, regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That's what a Christian person is. Because what did Jesus say um, to Nicodemus? Must be born of water and of spirit. You must be born again. And of course, John's got in his mind, which is very fair and reasonable think that he's got the Messiah will come, he will bring salvation and restoration to God's people and he will bring judgment on those people who don't know God. So he's bringing salvation and he's going to bring judgment. That is a fair reading of the Old Testament. John doesn't know that Jesus' ministry is going to be separated into two comings. First of all, the coming to be the saviour of the world, but the second one coming to be the what of the world? The judge of the world. And so he sees the ministry of Jesus correctly as saviour and judge. Correctly. Burning with inquenchable fire. Absolutely correctly. He doesn't understand, obviously, and reasonably too, that these comings of Jesus are separated. And so, you know, when I'm looking at uh, the very famous verses of John 3.16 and 3.17, I find... It says in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Didn't bring him to condemn the world. But then I flick over to Acts chapter 17, verse 29, and talking about the ignorance of people and how that's no longer an excuse because of Jesus. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God has overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. There's that word again. He commands all people here to repent because he has set a day on which he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And so we have the saviour of the world. And we also have in Jesus the role of the coming judge of the world. And there's no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. We're either with Jesus and in Jesus or we're not. And the consequences of not being in Jesus are catastrophic. So, as we're waiting for Christ, uh, we wait no longer because Jesus has come. Let us, in this season, friends, let's lay hold of that afresh. I love those songs today. Does something just jump in you when you sing those great songs? The story of salvation, the story of joy, and all that. Let us, over these next few weeks, let us again embrace Jesus afresh. Let us receive him. Let's take joy and awe and wonder and incredible gratitude. Let's lay hold of Christ afresh. Let's not just go through the next week's battling Carlo Court car park. Right? Let's get through these next few weeks... And also do a great journey with God, submitting to God, embracing him, following him afresh, enjoying him forever, waiting for Christ and laying hold of what is there. And as we prepare for Christ, as we think of his first coming, let our hearts be filled with gratitude for the greatest gift ever given. His name is Jesus. And his second coming, as we wait for that, There's preparing and there's waiting. As we wait for that, the king is coming again. He is coming at an hour that you do not expect. We don't know that hour, do we? I like all those people who try to predict it and have invariably been wrong in human history. Don't be the next. You don't know. I don't know. But he's coming again. We wait for it. And he is going to be our restorer, the Saviour of the world is born, the King has come, and the King is coming again. And I wanted to say this in closing, that by all means, uh, prepare for Christmas. Do what you've got to do. Charge your relatives 30 bucks ahead. Whatever you think is a fair thing. Seems fair. Prepare for Christmas. But more importantly, prepare your hearts for Christ. Prepare your hearts. Let God do the work of deep heart reconstruction in you and in me let us make sure that we as we look to Jesus again let's get the high offensive parts in our lives let's get rid of them let's build up those parts that are deep and need filling in our life let's prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts to enjoy him afresh this coming Christmas amen